I bought into the lie that because I had left the workforce, re-entry would be difficult. And so if I knew then what I know now, I would have probably looked at it differently. Change the way you look at things and the way you look at things will change, right? I listen up. This is Jamie. And I want to know if you're ready, if you're ready to take control of your life and reach your full potential. Think about that full potential, not maybe I can, but full potential. GoBundance has offered me and offers all of you the systems, tools, collaboration, mentorship, training, accountability, and community that you need to boost your success. With GoBundance membership, you're going to get access to the GoBundance training portal, member masterminds, the GoBundance toolkit, live interactive webinars, trips, private Facebook group access, which is super, super active. Wait till you check out the, the Facebook group and GoBundance GoPods. My GoPod and I are insanely close. Take your life and business to the next level with GoBundance. Go to GoBundance.com today. Apply for membership. Trust me on this. Have the conversation with me or one of our other ambassadors, and we'll make sure that you're clear on the value proposition for you. Look, you feel like right now, if I invest my money, I don't know what the return is going to be. That's why you're holding it. Better to invest in the one asset that has returned you over and over again, the maximum return, and that's investing in you and the community around you. GoBundance.com. Make sure you apply today. Enjoy the rest of the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Karen Briscoe, is a beast of a real estate agent. She's the principal of the Huckabee Briscoe Conroy Group, author of four different books, one of which Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day. And she also is the host of the Five Minute Success Podcast. The HPC Group has been named to the Wall Street Journal Top Realtor Team List. Over the years, they've sold over 1,500 homes valued at $1.5 billion. I got to put my pinky up for that one, I think, right? The billion dollar thing. So Karen, welcome. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. I have a lot of history with the Tribe of Millionaires guys and now also the gals with the Go Abundance uh, Women's Tribe. So I'm thrilled to be on the other side of the mic with you. I love it. Who's the guys? Like, who are some of the guys you've known for a while and how? Ah, so Pat Hyben is what started it all for me uh, when I made uh, the commitment to write a book on real estate. Uh, he was the first person I reached out to. And he had me be a guest on the Rockstar um, Millionaires podcast, which I think I've been on a guest on three times now because uh, he had me back after the book was written. And then another time, I think after I wrote another book or something, uh, but the, I, the introduction to Go Abundance um, generally came through that channel. Although I also have another direction for Go Abundance is through the Hal Elrod and the Quantum Link Mastermind community, because I have been involved in that uh, when Hal was running his best year ever. In fact, it was Pat that said, if you're going to write a book called Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day, you need to talk to my pal Hal. Yeah. And that yeah. started that journey. So I have uh, lots of, of um, places where this interweaves, and I've had many of the Tribe of Millionaires on the five minute success podcast, including David Osborne and Tim Rode and Mike McCarthy. And so anyhow, this is, uh, like I said, I feel like finally getting to meet, you know, the real Jamie Gruber. <laughs> the fake me is easier to, to take. In. <laughs> the, the real me is a little annoying. So just heads up. Hey, you know what? That, that makes life interesting. You know, it's funny you say it about best year ever. So next week I'm hosting an event for emerge, which is sort of like the, the JV squad for GoBundance, right? I'm hosting an event in Austin 
Hal is speaking Thursday night. Ah. Um, and then on Friday, we're doing a best year ever exercise. Nothing related to Hal whatsoever. But it's funny that you say, although, you know what? I got it from John Berghoff. You, then, you got it from Hal, yeah. Hal, actually, John Berghoff is the one that created it and ran it. Um, the the events for for how, um, but you're you're well as you know are in for a treat because uh, that again set me on this journey of really truly personal development and growth that is just that's what the books came out of the podcast and my coaching and uh, I had met with great success with real estate so that's what uh, got me here but then what got me to the next places were those relationships uh, through the the communities. Um, and so that's, that's why it is, uh, near and dear to my heart to be talking to another, uh, no, fellow go abundance bro. Well, let's go back a bit though. So I love that. I love that you kind of phased it. So I want to go phase one, phase two, phase one was getting success in real estate. And then phase two, you mentioned kind of community and this brand that you've built and you know, you've exploded. So what got the start in real estate for you? Were you right out of the jump, uh, a realtor, or did you, did you make a move from another industry? Give me a little bit of context. Well, a few zigs and zags. I started out in dirt in Texas in the early 80s, right out of college and worked for a land developer. And, and so I've been doing dirt for a long time, Jamie. Uh, so then my husband and I married and we had our two children and his career took us to the D.C. metro region. Uh, he was in public policy for decades. And I was the primary uh, breadwinner. I mean, primary caregiver. He was the primary breadwinner. I stayed home with our children for about a dozen years as the primary because of my husband's travel schedule. And, and I feel blessed. I'm honored to do it. Uh, when I went to re-enter the workforce, I went back into commercial real estate and had uh, the next tell account for Staubach, for Roger Staubach. Um, and I, I discovered very quickly <laughs> that if you've seen one sales engineering and warehouse office for Nextel, you have seen them all. And I, I found it to be extremely boring. And it was right around the um, year 2000 and the tech bust happened. And one thing I've learned in my business, you know, acumen and experience is that when you're in disposition mode, there is no money. And somebody said to me, well, why don't you try residential? And I don't know about you, but there is this perception in the commercial world that those residential people are all fluff <laughs> and it's commercial people that really have the financial knowledge, you know, and, and uh, strategy and negotiation skill. Well, what I found is I have, and actually it was Pat Hyman that, that said this to me and it was such an aha. I was like, oh, that's why it's the, I have the both sides, the you know, Sears commercial of the hard and the soft. I have the hard skills from my commercial background, but then I have these soft skills of relationships and um, and and the service and side of the business. And so I did meet with success very rapidly. And when people are achieving high level success, people notice, right? And that's what led to me um, be, being asked to join a, a mega team at the time, number 10 in the nation. And I became then partners with the, the mega agent, Sue Huckabee. And then uh, that was 06. And then she passed in 08. And it was the same month the financial markets crashed. So I had an opportunity, <laughs> uh, as Hal would say, to learn, grow, and become better than before because everything was crashing around me. And I had a lot of what I call muscle memory 
from the 80s in Texas and the savings and loan crisis. And I'm also a very resilient person. So I figured it out and then brought on my current business partner with me, Lizzie Conroy in 09. And we've since regrown the business back up to what it was when it was in the peak, peak years. And along the way, people wanted to know how I did it because I had the you know double whammy of losing my business partner and everything crashing around me. And that led to the, the idea of writing a book and, and going off on um, what I call my creative endeavors. So that's the, the part two of the journey you mentioned. I love that. So real quick, I want to go back on something that was really interesting. You've kind of floated by, but I want to dig in on this. Savings and loan was what, 87, 86, 87, somewhere in that range. Am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so 20 years later, we have another mega crisis in 08 with the Great Recession. And I feel like the, the, the sense is that that's kind of what's happening now. Like it's been, there's people that are 35, 36, 37 years old, where 08 is what a quote unquote recession. Never been through any of this. Yeah. Right. Right. That's it. But so now yeah. it's like, oh my God, what's happening? What was the muscle memory you mentioned? from the savings and loan crisis that you were able to apply principles of in 2008. Do you mind diving in on that a little bit? Absolutely. I think that's one of my strengths uh, is recognizing where the market is going. I am a very um, diligent person in terms of understanding the statistics and where the market is going. And I felt it. Uh, I actually started predicting it in in, uh, the summer of 05. It was just that it took everybody a while to figure out what was going on. And I tried to get people to make decisions that I felt like were more in line with what the market conditions were. And so everybody obviously figured it out in 08 when the financial markets crashed. So the first thing I did, well, and I was doing all along was advising people that, you know, you should be responding to the market by going to where it's going and you know the whole Wayne Gretzky quote right instead of acting as if what's happening right now is what is what you should be doing is moving in the direction where the market is going and so I would you know say to sellers you know it's not going to be better next spring and they'd be like looking at me like I'm you know two heads and I'm like because and I I remember explaining to one seller he had been in the tech industry and I was like remember how you know it was exploding, 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 and then crashed. I was like, we're, I anticipated we were entering what I call the law of large numbers that more and more inventory kept coming on the market. And at some point there wasn't any demand to meet that supply. And that was going to cause, you know, corrections. And I was like, you want to get ahead of it. You don't want to, you know, (laughs) catch the knife all the way down. You want to get ahead of that. And so that was one of the strategies was really working very closely with my clients on uh, making decisions. And then in terms of the business making decisions was just get real and get right on the expenses. I mean, we just start cutting expenses right and left. And, you know, if it wasn't, you know, a necessity in terms of generating business and leads, and even some of those I cut and then I go, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have cut that. So there was a lot of, um, uh, of that where, there was some, a lot of heavy advertising that was very common in the luxury market in the um, run-up of, of the 2000s. And so cutting that heavy advertising and then saw it didn't really change much. So those kind of decisions and on staffing, you know, just all around, uh, but got there faster than other people. Because back to the muscle memory, I saw it and I, I moved there quicker than, than many other people did. Makes sense. 
uh, what what are you seeing today? I don't know if you're in, I think, I think you might be, but you're invested in the commercial space. You're obviously, you know, crushing it in the residential space with your kind of vertical income. What are you seeing today? Uh, you know, there's, there's all the talk of housing prices. Uh, I mean, it's seemingly maybe cooling, but not anyway, what do you see today in the residential and the commercial space from your perspective? What is, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's your action today based on what you're seeing? Well, it's definitely different. So the market, and, and I would say that's true of all markets. I, I mean, there are never replays. Like you get to have an instant replay and go, oh, I'm going to do that because that play worked that time. It is different. Uh, one of the most significant differences for our market, and I think other markets are experiencing this as well, is just very, very low supply uh, relative to demand. And I think that is because several key uh, demographic and other market drivers that are unique. Now, you got to be careful about thinking you're always, you know, the unicorn and it's not going to happen to you. At the same time, though, I do think this is why. Uh, one is the millennials are the largest generation ever. So prior to their birth uh, were the baby boomers. And the baby boomers were generally, say, 79 million um, in the, the the states and the millennials that they birthed were 91 million. So we already have a delta of, and most housing was built for the baby boomer generation. I mean, just think about it. I mean, that was what, and every generation after that was smaller. So there wasn't a, a need, there wasn't a demand need. It was just a replacement need. If anything, it was actually uh, somewhat of a softening, correcting. And so the millennials during the pandemic, uh, for a while there, they, for many years, they were delaying adulting because they're like, well, I'll travel the world. I'll you know do these things. And then when the pandemic hit, they're like, well, if I have to stay home, I might as well get a dog, get married and have children. And that all it means buy your house. So this demand side of the equation is and, and when people make decisions, housing decisions based on life reasons, they have a different um, metric of what the, how they decide. Uh, it's not because interest rates are great or because you know, they, they, they actually need a nursery for the kid. There's nothing more motivated than a pregnant woman, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> And at this, <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, you just watch it, you know, at an open house. I mean, those strollers are going to like take over the world. Um, and at the same time, we have a lot of transfer of wealth. So people are like, where are these, they getting their money? Well, a lot of it's a transfer of wealth from the boomers. Um, but the baby boomers actually are moving a lot. Um, they are in a different making life decisions, again, to either be near children or many of them are buying second homes. Many of them are actually upsizing. Usually that generation usually starts downsizing, right-sizing. We're seeing many of them upsize. So we have this, this um, double force in the demand side. And on the supply side, you start with 2000 and, well, the market correction of 08, Oh nine, ten. Those those years, many of the developers lost their land rights that they had in their pipeline to come, and so there is a a delta um, of about twenty million over since that time period 
of shortfall of housing starts. And this is new housing. This isn't replacement housing. This is, um, it, this is often it has to be like condos or, or apartments or townhomes or even retirement buildings, you know, think places for people to go. And so th- because of um, now there's, you know, some slowdown in that. There was a lot of catch up there when the economy started to boom again, but there's a bit of slowdown. So we're not seeing enough supply coming on uh, for all of this demand. So I, I, as long as the supply, I, I like to say it's like gravity, supply mm. and demand. Yeah. And if supply and demand is more demand than supply, then we're always going to have a good market. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, it's you know, when it's first it gets in balance. Yeah. And to your point, I, this word for those listening, we're on a different platform. So if there's some weirdness, I whatever, anyway, um, for the, for the, the supply demand imbalances, it's so foundational, right? Like the, 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 the point you made is so true. There's, there's more demand. Now I know there's more inventory than there has been recently, but it's still not a full market of inventory. It's not a six months of inventory type of market that we're in. So we're still, you know, People are like, oh my God, it's going down. It's like, no, it's probably getting normal. Like, you know, as opposed to, you know, okay, this house is worth 1.1 million, but I got three offers at 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 cash. Now it's like, no, it's selling for 1.1 million where it probably should have sold is one point. And the other thing is, I know this for me, like I got, I have a lot of equity in my home. So to sell it, great, I release equity, but then I got to put it into another home where I'm going to have 6% interest rates when I have a 2% interest rate. Like, so there's a lot of people that, that are constricting supply more like me because I don't, I don't see a better trade-up that I can make right now. So I know that's two points coming at you. You're nodding your head. I'll let you kind of just riff on it. So go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. You've hit on it. Uh, the other thing to consider is that in inflationary times, real estate is one of the best places to be in. So people are you know, repurposing their money um, and the ones that are saddled in their house and they're like, well, this is fine. I'll remodel or I'll buy a second home instead if I need more space. Um, they're not selling. And the by and large, the silvers who the generation over the um, uh, baby boomers uh, because of the pandemic, they're not really wanting to go anywhere. So unless there's a death, uh, we like to call it the, the deeds of what it, it, it moves people, if you will, uh, diapers, <laughs> dogs, death, divorce, people are, and, and they're going to move for those reasons, regardless, pretty much. Um, also diamonds, household formations are at peak levels, peak levels, right? Uh, so when you see those things happening, they're, they're going to drive the economy of the real estate market. And now there's always pockets and there's exceptions, but when you see these huge, huge economic forces, that's what I am paying attention to and watching the supply and demand. So yes, we had maybe a pause is the right word. A recalibration is another way to look at it. When interest rates started going up, people had to recalibrate their expectations of what they could afford and what they could buy. Um, and that did last for a little while. It did cool the market down some. Um, but then when they re-entered the market, they re-entered the market qualified and ready to buy. And I would say, as a general rule, I'm hearing more across, you know, the mega agents in, in North America that there's there's still very, very shortage of supply versus yeah, demand. I, I, 
it makes sense. You see it, you see it, uh, you see it in most markets that have, 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 you know, good population trends. I mean, you're in a booming market in the DC Metro area, but the, um, I just saw two articles posted yesterday. You talk about, I think that could fuel this even more. One is that inflation dropped to its lowest rate since June, 2021. It's 5% uh, last month. I think it was not accounting for, of course, oil and, and um, food. And the second one was I, I, the IMF is projecting a return of interest rates to like COVID levels. Did you see this? Well, I didn't see that. But then when you speak of the IMF, the international buyers really haven't even returned to the market by and large um, since the previous administration and the policies and the pandemic. And I think that could be another demand source that we're not even factoring into that, uh, you know, is at least in many, you know, of the large metro cities um, is plays a pretty big role. So I, I anticipate, now I'm not saying there's not going to be any turbulence or bumps in the road. I'm not saying it's a smooth sailing. We should all just, you know, at the same time, what I'm seeing is uh, trends of that we're going to have several years of a good market. And, you know, it's different when the philosophy is uh, demand being greater than supply, buyers are less likely to be concerned that they're overpaying or that, um, you know, what's going to happen with their jobs or economy. When there's correcting market, that's when people start uh, becoming fearful and less likely to make a move because they're like, oh, I shouldn't do anything. So when you're in a more demand than supply, in most cases, you're almost always in a, a what I consider good market conditions. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I don't know who came up with it or where it came from, but the best marketing slogan I've heard around all of this, and especially if there's any truth, and I think most people generally agree, like we're at a peak of interest rates. They're going to come down in time, but the best marketing slogan is buy the, what is it? Buy the property, date the rate, something like that. Um, you know, where, yeah, I mean, like if you're thinking, well, all right, this is the peak. I love this property. It's in a great spot. The values will go up. Let me buy it, you know, and, and it's going to cost me a little bit more right now per month and in interest payments, but I can refi this thing in a year or two and you know, we're going to be in a great, great position. So I think that's a, that's another variable that might, that might fuel the market over time, all conjecture, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? What we say to people is to marry the house and date the rate. So marry the, <laughs> because, yeah, because the thing is, is if rates do go up, then you got the best rate ever. So be happy. Yeah. If rates, cur you know, go down, then you refinance and you got both. You got, you know, the house and, you know, a great rate. So that's how we're helping people. You know, a lot of it is in all of these market adjustments. Um, and they've been, you know, like I said, there've been numerous ones through the this last decades. The, the one I, I recognize is people like lenders are resilient and so are real estate agents. And they're going to figure it out. <laughs> right? True. Yeah. Because that's, that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Are you on the commercial side at all investing or do you do anything brokerage wise on the commercial side? Uh, not brokerage wise. Uh, my son does commercial real estate as a uh, retail shopping center developer. And you know, people like, Oh, retail shopping centers. I'm like, yes, the mega malls um, are all repositioning themselves, but the strip centers that are service oriented, there's still great demand for that. In fact, they're seeing increased demand. So he's in the suburban market, a shopping center. So we, we invest through, uh, through their deals. So, and then I have, um, eight doors as well. 
Eight doors as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I see a lot of turbulence there on the commercial side, especially for those, or in particular for those that are, are more in the variable debt space. There's like billions. Did you hear about this 3,200 unit portfolio in Houston that just got foreclosed on? Well, and I, you know, I think, yes, people who were leveraging, <laughs> over leveraging, uh, they're going to have a lot of, you know, adjustment and office space for sure, because the, you know, even though there's some companies that are mandating coming back into the office, you know, so many days a week, um, it's still very slow to return. And so I think we're seeing a lot of adjustment um, in those market conditions. So, uh, again, very resilient people, though. They're going to figure it out. They're deal yeah. makers, right? 100%, 100%. So talk about a little bit about brand, if you don't mind. So you've got four books that you wrote. Like what you mentioned, you kind of the pivot and everything, but how much has that played into your success today? And where do you see that going for you in the future? So the first book, Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day, came out of the journey of achieving at a high level, even challenging times. And, and so it, the idea, and I still remember talking to Pat Hyman about it. Uh, the idea is there's lots of real estate books that I wanted to have it have be different. And the way it's different is it's designed as a daily reader. So because a lot of people in sales, they're very, um, succumb to that shiny object squirrel syndrome. <laughs> they, they like, oh my gosh, I can't read a whole book because it would take too long, but they could read a page and apply it. So that started that journey and that led to me being guests on podcasts. And that led to me uh, saying, well, I can have a podcast. And so launching that podcast in 2017. And then the other books came out of the fact that like Hal, Hal Elrod said to me, he goes, Karen, you wrote the biggest book ever. And I'm like, I know I did. <laughs> so 365, right? I mean, who writes Ooh. a book like that? <laughs> so the, uh, what I call the smaller books, uh, the 66 day challenge books, which if you're familiar with the, the research on uh, the habit formation, 66 day challenge. And in fact, it's trademarked through the Keller Williams uh, trademarking of the 66 day challenge and the one thing. And the idea is I pulled out uh, the, for two of the books, one is called commit to get leads, which is the business development prospect lead generation. And the other one is consult to sell, which is, you know, the conversion process. So I pulled out the 66 to create these smaller books for people to do a deep dive and focus. And so that's how those came about. And then the book that's uh, what I is known as a heroine story. And I know you know what a heroine story is because you know what a hero story is. <laughs> I, I learned that through Go Abundance and the, and the tribe. Uh, yeah. In fact, I think it was Pat that taught me that. Um, hmm. So yeah, like I said, I have lots of... Uh, Connections. So yeah. when I was in the best year ever group and, and the mastermind with Hal, he had um, a signature event in December and he had certain people that would speak on stage. And I was selected to be one of the speakers. And my message was a heroine's journey story. And I had such a response to it that it became a book. So that's the, the flip time love life book. Um, and the and then now I've also expanded to life coaching for mega agents and those who want to be, because uh, some people aren't there yet, but they want to they want to 
achieve a higher level of success in that space. And uh, so where are all, all of those going? They're, they're, they fuel my, um, my entrepreneurial spirit. They, they, they fuel my um, growth mindset, if you will making those relationships and connections like with the, the Go Abundance Women's Tribe. Uh, that And the, the great thing is, because of that, it also leads to business development for the business. So it, it is like this, you know, positive uh, self-cycle. I, uh, I, I still make more money selling a house than I do a book. So sure. that, that's, <laughs> that's where the money comes. So I, I want to go back on something. I, I'm listening to your story. And it's interesting to me that you, I mean, you are a hard charging entrepreneur, you know, I mean, anything you do, you go all the way. It sounds like, right? Like, you know, life coaching, you know, the billion and a half dollars in revenue, writing four books. I mean, none of this is done without massive action or just being a massive action taker. Your action for about a dozen years, it sounds like was to be the homemaker, which can feel like it's in almost like a uh, what? Not contradiction. That's a too strong a phrase, but it could feel like it's not, it's not quite the same. Like your mindset had, a, maybe you felt stifled for 12 years. Like, yes, I love my kids. I'm raising my kids, but now I want to go out and do all this stuff that I wanted to do. So I want to start with, I, I have two questions on this topic, but what was that transition like for you? First and foremost, like, how did you go from A to B? Cause I think there's a parallel that I can learn from many can learn from. Maybe it's not going from being stay-at-home mom to entrepreneur, but maybe it's going from corporate person to you know owning your own business or whatever it may be. So, wh what was that transition like for you? Did you what did you what did you glean from it? What knowledge and what 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 helped you in that transition? Well, that's a great question. I thank you for asking because that is one of my messages that start today. I find that many people are like, "Oh, I'll do it when I'll do it when this happens or when that happens." One of the most common ones is when the kids leave home or start school or whatever for women. And so I started when I was in my early forties. So and I did. I achieved my. Uh, I wrote my books in my late fifties. Okay, so I was fifty nine when my book came out. That's all right. 57, maybe. Um, so I like, and I feel like I just got started. So I have so many things to do. Um, I, there was a lot of pent up demand. If you ask my husband, he goes, oh my God, it was just like, wind me up. You know, like, oh, well, this winter, I, I feel blessed and honored that I was able to spend time home with my children. It was not my highest and best use. It was, well, I was something I felt called to do and led to do, and it benefited our family. Uh, but when I started becoming successful, it, and I did a lot of volunteer work. It really, it was a great opportunity. Um, and the people were like, oh, well, you could retire and do volunteer work. I'm like, I already did that. I already did that phase. Like I did my phase the other way around. <laughs> like I, I'm like the other way around. I'm going to work an extra dozen years other than, you know, what most people retire because I'm like, I already did my dozen years of volunteering. Um, so when people ask me and I'm like, well, I, I do find that it is and I'm going to say different, it's different for me, but I find it different for other people too. The, what happens when you get that addiction to <laughs> success and to being a deal maker, it, it was really a high that I uh, um, found and the service and being of service to people, but it all was like so um, invigorating for me. And that just you know, positive cycle, right? It just led to more success. So success begets success. And I I do think this is a message that for wherever you are, if you're in a W-2 and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, 
this isn't me, right? I know I am capable of more, then you could do it too. And I would just encourage you to not let it be age that stops you because there are many successful people that have achieved at uh, later points in life. And so um, that, is, that is part of my message too, both, both women and men, but um, people that take out time in their career, you can re-enter the workforce. Now, there's a lot of, um, and for, I found quickly, the commitment to learning the technology and to embrace it and to constantly embrace change. Because what I see when people uh, either retire early or um, lose their their edge <clears throat> is because they, they, they stop embracing change, uh, literally. When the next whatever comes out, I'm like, I'm a first, I'm an early adopter. I'm a first adopter because I find that's what keeps you relevant in the marketplace um, and your skill sets. And that's why I want to remain in communities of people, particularly if they're a lot younger than me, because they're going to uh, help me move to the places I need to go. And so that that's some of the what I found on this last uh, couple decades journey of of the entrepreneurial. I, I do. I did have a huge entrepreneurial spirit uh, from my father. And so I was, but my brother and sister don't. So it's not like they, you know, I, 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 it's an internal drive. Uh, Once it kicked in, wow, I just like, you know, nothing's stopping me now. Yeah. What's some of that technology you're talking about? I'm curious. Is it, are you talking like social media type technology or more, you know, CRM, uh, Slack, that kind of thing. Like when you say keeping up with technology or embracing, it's a really, really interesting and good point. Just a couple examples of what you mean by that. Well, much of our business is digital now, but when I started, we still had real contracts. So, um, you know, yeah, all of the, all of the above, I, you know, I always get the newest phone, you know, I want to stay up on that technology. I'm always, you know, pushing our group to, you know, when, things come available to, um, you know, embrace the, the, the systems and tools and leverage. And it is got a learning curve. And, and, and yet in almost all cases, when we did, then we look back and go, I don't know how we ever, you know, wrote contracts with that DocuSign. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the way with so much of it. Oh, I got an electric car. I feel like that was, <laughs> I, I was the first person I know that got an electric car when gas went to, over $5 a gallon. I'm like, and I, I found out about the 100% bonus depreciation from Amanda Hahn. I know you had Amanda on your uh, podcast. I was at one of the GoBundance events and, you know, I knew about the cost sag and the bonus depreciation on the real estate side, but she started talking about, I was like, I was like, you, you're telling me that I can get a hundred percent bonus depreciation on my car. And she said, absolutely. And I mean, gosh, it was a really moved the needle on our taxes for 2022. Um, so I, I, those kind of things, but it's surrounding myself with the people that are doing those things. It, in many ways, that's how, um, and then paying attention when they, when they say it, so you gotta, then you gotta go find the electric car, you know what I mean? Get the charge, you know, the car charging stations. And, you know, so it, it's, uh, it's the best thing we did. I'm seeing that I'm 44 and I'm starting to see, I, you know, it's like, I'm at this point in my life where I'm starting to actually it's like when you say, oh, I, I hit 40 and why does my back hurt a little bit more? Like, why do things just start hurting that shouldn't be hurting or never did before? It's similar with technology. Like, I find myself being that guy sometimes. Like, wait a minute, I, how does this work? I don't understand. Whereas five years ago, I was I was cutting edge, right? So I love your point. It's simple, but 
powerful that I, and maybe, you know, maybe for somebody who's in their late thirties going into 40, it sounds crazy, but I am starting to feel myself laboring more to keep up with technology and not like what's coming out, not that, but like the use of it, like, where's my kids who are eight and five and everybody can relate to this. I mean, it's like, it's like next, it's like part of their DNA. It's like built in. They, they're incredible with technology five years old. And he's like, he's able to diagnose issues and find ways. It's incredible to me. So I don't know. I think that's an amazing point. And I wanted to go, I wanted to go into one more thing back on the uh, stay at home mom and then transitioning. So 12 years means your kids are still like, you know, semi-reliant on you at the point at which you decided to re-enter the workforce to become an entrepreneur. So how did you and your husband navigate? Cause I know this comes up for people. Like how did your husband and you navigate the, uh, the, the things that I'm sure it happened pop-ups in life where it's like, well, I'm doing my thing. You're doing your thing. And kid needs X. Who's number one. Was it a, an agreement that you're always going to be, or, or was there conflict there? And how'd you overcome that? You know, it's fascinating because the Go Bundance Women's Tribe is going to have a when you become the primary breadwinner <laughs> um, masterclass tomorrow. Right. I'm assuming you did become that. That was my Absolutely. Next I passed out, you know, my success. In fact, there there has been some, you know, thought or I had thoughts like, oh, my gosh, we should have invested in me. <laughs> right. I mean, we invested in my husband and his career because we thought that was the one that was going to take off. And he did well. I mean, I'm not discounting his, his profession, but um, but what what I accomplished in the time that I've been doing this has been like running circles. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, I did start out part-time. I didn't start working full-time until my, my son left for college. So it was part-time and mostly as a buyer's agent, which is mostly nights and weekends, which is mostly when my husband was generally home. And if he wasn't, I'd just get a babysitter. Um, and, and then as the income increased, then I had more opportunities to leverage, but I was still the one that drove them to the dentist and the... So I just coordinated my life around that. I uh, got very, very resourceful and creative and trading off with people. Um, but the, I would say one of the, out of this discussion is when I passed my husband up um, and we were married 25 years and I said, okay, so I've done the laundry and the grocery shopping and the pay, bill paying for 25 years. So you get the next 25 Wow. I, I I didn't even really negotiate. I just said, I, I need you to take over these things. Now you can hire somebody. I'm not saying you have to do it, but you need to own it because I'm not owning it anymore. So when you talk about, you know, how do you make these, I don't want negotiations or these um, conversations. I mean, we had several of them along the way, but I also, I will say I did not micromanage it and I let him do it his way and he didn't do it the way I would have done it. And yet I, I released that because I recognized that if I was truly going to have leverage, I was going to have to not do it anymore. So sometimes it's just stop doing it. I stopped doing the laundry. I stopped going to the grocery store. I, and so, and fortunately he recognized that it was benefiting our family. And so he picked up on it. Um, and then financially, when I, uh, was making more money than he, um, he also hit a place in his career where um, it was, they wanted him to retire. And so for a while there, he thought he was going to go play golf and fish and which would have been fine, except that I was busy and you got to remember, I was just still catching up. And I'm like, I'm, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm doing this. And, um, and then he goes, no, I'll just help you. 
And this happens, and I call it the wife-husband team, not the husband-wife team, the wife-husband team, because uh, my business partner had it happen as well. Her husband had been in the uh, equity markets, and when the equity markets changed, then he said, well, this real estate gig is looking really good. Why don't I flip houses for a while, which he did, and now he works with her. So we, we have two wife-husband teams. <laughs> um, and so when, uh, when that happened, I said, you know, he recognizes that my skill sets, back to negotiation strategy, lead gen, market knowledge, you know, organization leadership, but that means he does everything else, right? I mean, we have a staff too, but um, so in a lot of ways, in a more traditional couple, we we switch we switch places. But you know, you said something in there. I wrote it down, and you were really emphatic about this point. I don't know if it was on purpose or just more maybe Freudian. Who knows? But you said, you know, you transitioned the stuff over to him, uh, bill paying, laundry, all of that good stuff, which makes total sense. I get all of that. And it makes sense that he came onto your team at some point. But one thing you said was, I did not micromanage it, meaning you gave him the tasks, but you specifically said, I did not micromanage it. Micromanage it. If, it's, if you're like, nah, it was just something I said, fine. But is there anything to expand on there or are you willing to? Oh, that's very intentional because that's what I see where it usually fails. I mean, even with staff, you know, and, and, uh, you know, people that work for me, where I I see that it fails is when you keep taking it back, right? I mean, there has to be, the kid has to learn how to tie their own shoes. If you keep tying them at some point, they're going to like, well, I guess mom's going to do it for me anyhow, so why try? So I find that to be, uh, I you know, the ownership is there. Now I can consult. <laughs> I can share my thoughts, you know, and as a consumer in the household, I can say, I wish you would do this and I would like you to wash my clothes, you know, on these days or whatever. But, you know, I, I let him do it the way he wanted to do it. And he didn't do it the way I would have done it, but I let that go. I think you have to, like, I, I mean, I think of me, I'm putting myself in your shoes. My wife is now, our kids are in school and she's starting to make moves toward, you know, what she's been wanting to do, psychology career and all of that stuff. Uh, right now, actually, as we sit here, she's taking her prereq course for grad school, right? <laughs> like as we, as we, as I'm sitting here looking at her, but, um, but that's one of those things that's interesting that you said that. Cause I know for me, you know, she may be the more investable person. I don't know. Like as we go forward, she might be, she may be the better bet financially. Right. In, in that regard, but the ego that I have and every guy, every, man, every man has would really, really struggle. My ego would really struggle if it was like, now you're taking this over, like the way you said it. But then when you said, but I didn't micromanage it, that's like, oh, you know what? I could deal with that. You know what I mean? I think that's just an important distinction and a really interesting nuance in that story that like, yes, I gave it away, but I had to recognize that, you know, this guy was a, a killer for years, right? Like he was going after it, moving his family around, providing her all that male machismo, masculine ego thing happening. So if you came in and said, uh, you're not folding my clothes right, and you're not doing this right. Oh my God, that would I, I, it would it would ex I, I don't know if I could manage that my own ego. So, from your husband's perspective, do you see any advice or tips to somebody like me, like that you've seen him do, uh, to say my husband was really like maybe it wasn't even something that you that you that he intentionally did, but this is some things my husband really did. I think made this successful and allowed us to allowed us to stay together and transition our lives this way. Yeah, we're coming up on 36 years, so we have right. we've had lots of, you know, the, through the years learning to navigate sure. negotiations of our life. Um, you know, I, I think that he also was part of the conversation of saying, you know, what can I do to help? 
So it wasn't like me mandating. I was like, well, what I need you to do are these things because they are more daily, you know, that is like, um, and then in terms of, I recognized, again, raising children and having staff that when I kept taking it back, that I got it back, right? So I didn't want it back. So I had to stop me. And that's where I, I um, at the same time, encourage him. My husband's been my best cheerleader, though. I mean, he believed in me uh, before anybody else believed in me. I had to be like, oh, yeah, always do it. I'm like, I don't know why, because I hadn't done anything. <laughs> they were like, make you think that, but um, okay. And uh, so he always believed in me. And when I did, um, you know, when we had this uh, transition happen, uh he actually has found his my career more rewarding than his career ever was. Mm. And it's amazing to me because I, I, but I see it now, you know, he was in public policy when he was on the Hill, you know, trying to get politicians to do things. And uh, that's not very rewarding actually long-term because, you know, that's um, a very demanding space to be in. And it's rewarding to help people. Um, and so we're in relationship with people and I, he finds purpose because also, you know, you know, when you close the house, it's done, right? Do you ever get public policy finished? No, it's, a, you know, so th that's something that I would say when, you know, your family is having these conversations is, you know, uh, maybe it'll be better because the thing is, is it was very draining on him, um, you know, the kind of business he was in. And so I see this with other, you know, like in the GoBundance community, and I see a lot of people um, doing short-term rentals or doing investing or, and and they're finding that the W-2 was just totally draining the, the relationship or the marriage or the person. And that when they started to move towards what they were called to do and what is was more meaningful or fulfilling, and rewarding financially too. Um, then, it, it, so I, I want to I want to put out there for your community here to to see how it can be better. Because what I think I see sometimes people say is, "Oh, well, that means I'm doing this, this, and this," and you're like going, "But you get to do this, this, and this, right?" So let you know. I always like let's let's imagine a better future uh, for everybody, like um, where everybody's valued. And it's not just that um, the person who makes the money is the most valued. No, it makes sense. You offered this up, so I'm not making this assumption that it sounds like you're in your early 60s at this point. So when is when is um, when is enough enough? So what what ah. is the what is the what's the next phase? Like, I mean, you love the deal. You said you're addicted to the deal. So I get that. Like, you love what you do. So I understand that that's the likely answer. Like, hey, when I stop loving it, but I don't know, as you get to this point of life, and I'm just thinking, reflecting in my 40s, like I'm so much more aware of my my own, my own. Uh, I don't know, like what time is left and what I want to do with it and everything else. So I can imagine as I go into my 50s and 60s, that becomes more and more, you know, front and center for me. So for you, I don't know, when is enough enough? When do you hang it up? What what has to happen? Or what's the next phase? Or maybe you have a plan for it. I don't know. But I'm just kind of curious what the next the next level is for you. Do you continue to go? Do you see yourself never stopping? Or is there a stop plan? So my father retired at 65 and he's 90 and he says that was his biggest regret. Wow. And now he found things to do and became mayor of town involved in the church and everything. 
And so I think I'm going to live to 90 or 100. So I think I have a lot of years left. And so what I have, um, the way I look at it is, as long as people call me, then that is when I'm going to continue serving. And so that right now is my folk, my my perspective. Now that could change, um, but but I believe that as long as I can be of service to people, that I desire to do that. And now, in terms of the business structure, yes, we have a plan to uh, transition that because running a mega agent team is is also a full time job. <laughs> I actually have like three full time jobs. Um, so, and yet going, I say going back to the focus of um, the deal making, because that's where I get my biggest high still. And I see uh, opportunities also as branching into the commercial and doing more coaching and that kind of thing as also great transitions. Um, but I, 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 because of my father at this juncture, I do not see a date or a stopping point. Um, I see transitioning into other opportunities and other, other, you know, venues and, and, um, and, and I may not even know them yet. I mean, when my book came to me, I had no idea where it was going to take me. I, where I have gone because I wrote a book has been amazing. So something else could be in my future that I can't even see yet. And I want to be open for that possibility. So I, I'm keeping it all open, and at the same time, recognizing uh, when, you know, it may be time to make a make a transition. Right now, there is no scheduled transition. Good for you. That's amazing. What do you do for fun then? How do you balance it out? Like you know, the whole the whole ah, reason to retire oh. or whatever, play golf. So what do you do? But you see, I already do everything I want to do. <laughs> see, I, I think that's the. The difference is when I wrote the book, Flip Time, Love Life, I'll have to share this because this is key to my philosophy on life. <laughs> so you remember, I'm sure from your psychology days, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that there's this sure. pyramid, right? And at the bottom of the pyramid are your physical needs, and then you have your safety, security needs, and then you have esteem needs, and then you have relationship needs and esteem needs, and then self-actualization. And as you may remember in the pandemic, I don't know if you were in... Um, the Dominican, were you living oh. you were in the Dominican Republic, you said? I live there yeah. now, but not then. You were I, was in in the, the States. I was in the U.S. at that Yeah. Time. So I'm sure you remember that the first crises were toilet paper, right? So if you think about it, that's the basic physical need there is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so human condition is to just go back to those, you know, basic needs whenever you're in a point of crisis. But what I, I find is, is that so many people wait to do the higher needs, the esteem needs, the self-actualization needs until something happens, like they retire or the last kid goes to college or they pay off their whatever or whatever. They've achieved a certain um, milestone in their wealth or whatever. And what I discovered, and this was my talk at Hal Elrod's event, was to flip the pyramid and start with self-actualization. Because if you're self-actualizing, you will already be living your what you you're receiving self-esteem, right? And best relationships because you're being your truest self, your most authentic self. And the, the amazing thing is it also leads to 
the meeting of your physical needs, because if you're achieving at your best self level, you're going to be have what you need. And so um, I, I already do that. I already do everything I want to do. I love that. That's amazing. That's incredible. I think that's, that's a, I think about that with me. That was a realization leaving my job. Like I can go do anything. So why do I want to wait till my kids are out of the house to move to the Dominican, for instance, right? Like why not go do that now? now. Give them that experience, right? So that's one of those pieces. I love that idea of flipping it on its head. That's really cool. Self-actualization kind of start with that and then let the rest kind of build under it. So that's awesome. I love that. And when you know people who do that, you know, they're living their best life, right? True. True. That's very true. Let's wrap this up. This has been great though. I really appreciate everything that you've, uh, you've poured into me in this, in this conversation. Let's wrap this up with a question from the GoBundance card game. And the question is Jack of hearts. What's the biggest lie you've ever told? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. Biggest lie. It's a Pat um, Hyben thing, by the way. So if you, your, your buddy Pat came up with these is card it really? games, so blame it? him. I, I never heard. I never heard there was a, a a tribe of millionaires card game. That's fascinating. Biggest lie. Um, I think that that I and I would just say living it. I I told the lie that I was happy uh, with my life um, before, mm. and I see now the the difference. And so my life wasn't bad, but I see the difference so much. And so the lie I was telling myself and other people was that I was happy. That's so much pressure though, right? As a mom, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be a mom, right? Like that's what you're, especially, and not be, but you know, generationally, you know, the generation you came up in, I came up in, you know, like that's the role, mom, wife, that's what you do. That's what you're taught to do. Uh, that's, I think that's changed a lot now with, you know, upcoming generations, obviously, but I can imagine that in, in I, I can only imagine, I guess I should say that in your shoes in that regard, it's like, I'm, but I'm supposed to be, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I've been told I'm supposed to be doing, but I just feel empty. And if I say that, it's like me saying, I don't like my kids or I don't want to be around my kids. And that's not what you're saying, but I can see how that would be conflated in some ways. Yeah. Yes. And I will say if people could have told me then <laughs> that I would be where I am now, I think I could have released it. I bought into the lie that because I had left the workforce, that reentry would be difficult and that I would have lost years. And, you know, that, that was something that was, I heard. And so if I knew now what I know, you know, if I knew then what I know now, and of course, you know, I'm sure there's books written on that, I would have probably looked at it differently. So the best thing I could say is when I'm in a place like that now, I say, well, change the way you look at things and the way you look at things will change. Right. So, um, so th when I, I'm in those places now, I say, okay, so what, how am I looking at this? That is, uh, that I could change the way I look at it. So that's the best lesson for me on that. That's incredible advice. A great way to end it. So where can people reach out, learn more website, social media, anything like that that you want to share? So on the five minute success, it's the number five minute success and there's the website. And if you're interested in visiting with me about uh, coaching opportunities, the life coaching that I offer, uh, there is a link there where you can schedule a call with me and see if that's a good fit for both of us. And also the books are all on Amazon and the, on the real estate side, Oh, and the podcast is there as well. Uh, on the, the real estate side, uh, you, you pretty much could Google Karen Briscoe and I'm going to take up the whole first page. 
I love it. I love it. Karen, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Great getting to know you. And uh, I hope we see each other at a future co-ed event or something. We shall see. Yes, we need to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely.